We're on a series of messages called Life, Money, and Hope. And uh, as we dive into the third message of this, uh, I just want to remind us that, that God has a very definite plan for how we are to think about and handle our finances and that God's way works. And what I'm teaching today, and even in this series, is not some kind of theory or something I pulled out of a book. Uh, this is 40 plus years of experience of, of putting God's way to the test. And I found just like in every other arena of life, when God gives us instruction, um, he's not just given us a set of rules that we could obey so that we would somehow earn his approval by keeping those rules. Uh, his approval has been taken care of by what Jesus did on the cross, right? The grace of God uh, reaches out and approves us all. But when God gives us instruction for life, he is literally setting a path that's leading us into life. So as I've followed God's instruction on marriage or parenting or work or prayer or relationships, I've always found that God's instruction leads me to a blessed place. And that's his desire for every one of us, is that his instruction is to lead us to a blessed place. Just want to remind you that Jesus himself actually talked a lot about money. In the four Gospels, uh, in Jesus' teaching, there were 38 different parables that Jesus taught, stories that he used to illustrate how God works, how the kingdom of God operates, 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught were about money and possessions. I did the math on this, 42% of every one of Jesus' messages was a message about money, was a message about possessions, because it matters. It's a part of our life. It's an important part of our world, and God has a way for us to consider it. If you went to Jesus' church, You'd be hearing a lot of messages about finances because finances are important to your life. The Bible literally offers about 500 verses on prayer, uh, uh, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,350 verses on money and possessions. So I'm going to be teaching on all 2,000, no, I'm not. <laughs> Let me just say to you, uh, money is powerful. It just is. It is important. Money can provide for you uh, a place to live, a car, food. It always amazes me to consider this idea. I can feed a child in another nation by the power of money. I can get clean water to a place that's been drinking polluted water by the power of money. Money is a powerful thing. And I think all of us recognize money is a spiritual thing, that there are spiritual forces that are behind money and I think we'd all also recognize that money is a very emotional thing. Start, if you put your hands on somebody's money, and you're likely to draw back a nub. 
right? I mean, it, it's emotional. And, and sometimes when we talk about it, uh, when we consider it, some people, it's just so difficult for them to even grasp that they just, that it causes such distress in their life that they just kind of look away from it. But it is, a, it is a very powerful thing in all of our lives. It's part of all of our world, which is why God gives us instruction on it so that we can walk into life and blessing. Money lifts people. Money moves things, right? Money moved these chairs to this building so you'd have a place to sit. Money moved electricity here so we could have lights. Money moves Oreos to the house as it should right? Money moves things. Money lives, but I also, I think all of us know money problems can destroy a life, can destroy a marriage, can destroy a lot of things. So learning how to get a handle on it and learning what God says about it uh, is, is going to be one of the most important things I think any of us could do. So 1 Timothy uh, 6 verse 17, 18, 19, uh, are three of the 2,350 verses, and uh, that's where we're launching this series out of Life, Money, Hope, and I think you'll see why in a minute. So verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. So I know sometimes you go, okay, Rich, that doesn't, that means I'm out because I'm not rich. But I'm just going to remind you again, the median income in Asheville for a household is $44,000, which would put you in the top half a percent of all people in the world. Average income in Asheville is $32,000, which would put you in the top 1% of everybody that exists in the world. So there's, there's a 99% of the world would look at you and say, you are rich. You are blessed. So when this is talking to us, it's talking to us in this room. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. In other words, don't get focused on yourself. Think you did it or to fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't get identity out of money. Somebody say amen. That's a good point. But on God, fix your hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Here's what we're supposed to do. Those of us in this room that are blessed of God, instruct them to do good, be rich in good works, be generous, Be ready to share. In other words, understand God is the supply, who the source, but he wants us to be a channel to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, be ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they could take hold of that, which is life indeed. In other words, to take hold of the kind of life that God wants us to live. So what God is, is wanting to happen in all of our lives is that we are uh, moving into this place where we learn to be contributors and not just consumers. Where we learn to be channels and not just pools. Where we are learning that we're blessed to be a blessing. God's not just interested in you giving. God's interested in us becoming givers. 
in all the areas of life. So, so we started out this series uh, a couple weeks ago uh, talking about this idea. Number one, fix your hope on God. I love this concept, 1 Timothy 6, 17, instruct those who are rich in the present world, don't be conceited, don't think you did it, don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but fix your hope on the God who supplies us with all things to enjoy. And I think this idea to get, it's a fundamental concept that has to be at the beginning of all of this. God doesn't need anything from you. God wants something for you. And to get a proper starting point to recognize the nature and the character of God is, he is a good God who has a desire to bless your life. A blessed life is his intention for everybody on the planet. So fix your hope on the source, not on the channel. Don't confuse your job as a channel, but God is the source. You know, the economy is a channel, but God is the source. There are a lot of different channels that God will use, but don't get fixated on them. Just know that God is the source of it all. Don't get fixated on the blessings. Stay fixated on the blesser. Fix your hope on God. And he has ways of getting things to you that are miraculous. The second thing is this idea, God is a God who supplies. And that's what the Bible teaches. First Timothy 6, 17, fix your hope on God who not only just supplies, richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. 2 Corinthians 9 says, he supplies seed to sowers bread for food. He will supply and even multiply your seed for sowing. In other words, if God will find a sower, he will supply seed and multiply seed to them. If God can get it through you, God will get it to you. If it stops at you, then you become a constipated Christian. And that stinks. I think that's funny. I don't care what you say. <laughs> he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. He will increase the harvest of your righteousness. So if I could boil it down uh, to something super simple, it's this. If God is source and he flows through channels, be a channel. Like for in all arenas of life, like if God is the source of peace, then let God give you peace and be a channel to bring peace, to bring love, to bring joy, to bring help, to bring financial resources into the world. So let me, let me talk on this idea for a couple of minutes today. Number three idea is this, order brings blessing. In other words, the order that we position things will put us in a place of blessing. Before you spend, save some money. Somebody said, oh my gosh, that's a four-letter word in church. Save. <laughs> Jesus saves, Moses invests. No, it's a terrible joke. Before you spend, save. Before you save, honor God. That's that's God's order. In other words, pay God first, that's your tithe, first and best, 
Pay yourself next, that's saving. Pay your bills after that. That's the order that will bring blessing into your life. Some people call it the 10, 10, 80 principle. That you would aim toward this. 10% belongs to the Lord. 10% you save. 80%, 80%. That's the bulk you live on. Now, some of you are going, there is no way that I could live on 80%. And I want to say, yes, you can. 10% to God, 10% to savings, 80% to life. If, if you will set this as a pattern for, that you'll at least aim towards, it will be amazing. This verse that I'm going to read right now absolutely changed my mindset several years ago. Proverbs 21:20. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. They got something saved up, but a foolish man swallows it up. Or one translation says, a foolish man devours all he has. We embrace consumer debt as a natural way to live, as a normal way to live. But I want to say it's not a normal way to live. And the, the stats show this, 57% of Americans have less than 100, than thousand, that have less than $1,000 in their savings account. That means any kind of emergency of any kind, they're not ready for it. The average American household has $16,000 $425 in credit card debt. So, that means somebody in this room has adopted the Western way of living and has not understood the biblical idea of the wisdom is get a little money set aside and create some margin for your life. So the majority in, in America would be this. They're not only swallowing all they get, they're actually spending what they don't even have and putting it on a credit card. Somebody goes, why did I come to church today? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this like fully convinced because of my own life and experience, and I've seen it happen for so many people. If you commit to God's way, it will blow your mind. The peace, the strength, the capacity that it can bring to your world will, will absolutely be. A, you might think it's not possible. Hey, listen, that's what the Bible says. Don't be conceited. It's not about you anyway. It's about learning to ride the wave that is stronger than you are, buying God's way and watching God work in your life. So here's, here's the pattern, the order that brings blessing, I think, into our life. And I'm just putting it in simple terms. Number one, honor God first, 
get or stay out of debt, fill the barrel, live and give out of the overflow. That's where God wants to take you, and that's where God will take you. If you will start toward this, and I understand for some of us, we would look at this and go, you've got to be kidding. There's just no way. But I'm, I'm saying to you, I'm, I fully believe this. If you will start aiming towards living like this, it will be amazing to you what God will do in your behalf. It will blow your mind how God helps those who aim towards this. Matthew uh, chapter 6, Jesus is talking and he says, don't worry, saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drive? Where am I going to live? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first. Everybody say first. His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Wow. So seek to put first things first and watch God, the God who richly supplies all things to enjoy, watch him add to you. It will seem miraculous to you. When you decide to start honoring God first, when you decide to start saving even a little bit, it will amaze you how your money saved will attract more money and grow. You might think, oh, that can't even happen. I'm telling you, it works. One of our first steps that we have to buy is this idea. We have to stop spending money we don't have. Dave Ramsey puts it this way, act your wage. <laughs> have the humility to live within the provision God has given you in this season. And if you handle that as a stewardship from the Lord, God will increase what comes into your life. When Suzette and I first got married, we brought a lot of love for Jesus and a lot of love for each other, and that was about it into our relationship. She really basically had, had nothing materially, and I owned a mattress, not a box spring, a mattress, and a stereo, the essentials of life. I, I, that's, what, that's, what I, that's all we had. That was the beginning of our, of our married life. And literally for the first six months of us being married, we didn't run out and try to charge furniture or anything. We just said, you know, this is what we have right now. We both had jobs. This is what we have right now. So we literally got a bunch of cardboard boxes and, and put our stuff that would have gone in a chest of drawers in a cardboard box for six months. And we weren't feeling sorry for ourselves. You know, we figured, it, you know, we may be poor, but we don't have to be messy. <laughs> so 
we just put our stuff in the cardboard boxes for six months, and I, I, I liked it, yeah. My, my underwear went here, my socks went here, and, you know, my, my jeans went here, and I just, you know, it's, it's, it's how it went. And then after six months, we, were, we found a, a bedroom set at a garage sale. And then a, a month or two later, we had enough money together to buy a table and a chair, and I'm just saying... Uh, the t- we were happy. <laughs> Our two determinations together, and I'm so glad that Suzette had a heart for this, I had a heart for it, is we were going to honor God first. That was just going to happen no matter what. No matter what. And we were just determined that we would not spend more than God was providing for us right now. And listen, my, my first two ministry assignments, which I only had two before we moved here and started this church, I was at my home church, and they had an idea, and then I was at another church for a few years, and both of those churches had this kind of, God, if you, if you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor mentality. And, and the truth is, we didn't actually even consider buying a house until well after we've been married for 10 years plus. Now, I'm not saying that to like brag. I'm saying we, we bought this idea that we were going to, whatever we had was given to us, whatever God was providing in that season, we were going to honor God first, and we were not going to spend money we didn't have. And all the way through, we had this idea, honor God first, get out of debt or stay out of debt, fill the barrel, and then live and give out of the overflow. Here, let let me show you one of Jesus' teachings on this. Matthew uh, chapter 25, uh, I think this will be interesting to you. Matthew 25, the kingdom of heaven is comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish, five were prudent or wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, no additional oil. But the prudent took oil and flask, precious oil and treasure, along with what was already in their lamps. While the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy, began to sleep. At midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. All those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps. But then the foolish one said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered and said, no. Sometimes you just say no, right? No, there's not going to be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers, buy some for yourselves. While they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. It's a pretty interesting passage in it. There's a lot of layers of truth in it, but what I want to point out is that the ones who were ready for their opportunity were the ones who had something on the side that made them stand in a place of ready for strength, ready for opportunity. They had precious treasure in oil. They, they, were, they were living with the barrel full But the ones who were living on the edge, with no margin, living on fumes, missed their opportunity. When we were growing up, 
uh, teenage boys, uh, you always have the one friend who has the car, right? The guy who has the car. Our, my friend was Robbie, and we, he had a car. He had this big car, four-door Buick Skylark. It was awesome. It was big. I mean, literally, like you can hang tires over it. It's like a ship. Boom. And we'd, we'd get in that car, and we'd just play the music loud. And I thought because that car was big that we didn't look like what we were, which was a bunch of potheads. And um, <laughs> that car riding down the road, bump, 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 bump. It was a big old piece of machinery. But it was, it was the car. We drove it around. And, and uh, my friend... Uh, it, we, it would, he would always run his car on empty. Now, we always pooled in together. And uh, so we, we would like, it'd be, the light would be on. The light had been on forever. And we'd go to put $2 of gas in the car. Now, I'm dating myself, but $2 actually bought a little bit of gas then, uh, a few years ago when I was a teenager. And, and I suggested one time, I said, how about we... How about we do this? Instead of living off the bottom of the tank, how about we fill the tank up, and then every time it goes down $2, let's put $2 in. Nah, that's no fun. (laughs) So we lived on the edge of disaster because we wouldn't just stop for a minute and fill up the tank. I think a lot of people, they bought the American way of overextended, spending money they don't have, no money set aside, and they're they're just living off the fumes instead of living strong, ready for an opportunity. Jesus goes on in Matthew 25. I think it's interesting. He's talking about the the kingdom of heaven still. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man about to go on a journey, obviously himself, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each one according to his own ability, and then he went on his journey. And if, if you know the story, you know that when the master came back, he said, hey, just let's see what you did with what I entrusted to you. And the five guy grew his to five, and the two guy grew his to two, but the one guy buried his. But what I want to point out in this story, because I think it's a concept that's in all of Jesus' teaching, and that is this. There is a master who entrusts his possessions to us. They don't belong to us. They belong to him. They've just been entrusted to us. Everything we possibly have has been given as a gift from God. You might think, I don't even, I haven't even paid any attention to God yet. Hey, let me tell you this. The air you breathe Man, I used to tell my kids, I pay for this air that you breathe. (laughs) But that's not true. (laughs) 
Whatever talent you have, whatever skill you have, it all came as a gift from God. Well, how come one, one guy can fix a car, one guy can build a cabinet, one guy can sing, another guy's brilliant at math. Did they choose to be that way? No, they were given that as a gift. A talent, a gift that was given by God. You you didn't get to choose to be born in this land of opportunity. Any one of us could have easily been born into a slum in Nairobi. It all comes as a gift. All of it from God. And Jesus teaches this over and over and over again. It's my gift to you. You steward what I have given to you. So, that's why, that's why 1 Timothy says, don't be conceited. <laughs> like you did it. It's just a gift from a God who is good. And the truth is, we can take that gift and, and use it all for ourselves. Or we can recognize that it was entrusted to us and the master is going to show up one day and go, did you handle it the way I asked you to handle it? Every one of us. And the truth is, I love to teach that God loves to bless and that he promises to bless if you honor him. But I also would love to point out that even if God did not promise to bless, it's all his anyway, and it's been entrusted to us, and we can either handle it the way he's asked us to, instructed us to or not but all of us one day are going to stand before God and just go all right all the gifts I gave you did you spend them on yourself only Proverbs chapter 3 this is my last passage for today but I want us to get this idea Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He's going to make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't think that you're ever smarter than God. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. This is going to become healing to your body, refreshment to your bones. And I think all that's a setup because he's going to touch something that's so emotional. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all you produce. So then, and God doesn't have to promise this, but he does, your barns will be filled with plenty. Wow. Your vats will overflow with new wine. See, here's the honor. The honor is putting God first. God doesn't get leftovers. It isn't after I've paid every bill and found out if I had a little bit left over that I would start to honor God. 
No, God gets first and best. That's the honor. And the Bible teaches that if I will get the order right, God first, get out of debt, fill the barrel a little bit, live and give out of the overflow, my barns fill. My vats overflow. I was last week, United Kingdom, preaching for a few friends, and uh, I was sitting at lunch with some of these pastors. They're smart guys. They're, they're self-aware. And, and we're having these conversations about um, British health care, America, and some of the issues that we face as a country. And it was interesting because we're all understanding this. There's so many similarities, but there's really so many differences. And when, when you're raised to think one way about something, you just embrace it. That's just the way it is. But when any one of us would be self-aware enough to stop and go, maybe my origination starting point, my premise is not the right place to start. So let me say this to you because I really need you to understand this. The premise that we all have to start on is this. God is for you. He loves you like nobody loves you. And God wants you blessed. He really does. God doesn't need anything from you. He's God. We are little bitty specks of dust. And when he gives us instruction, it's not for him. He's not trying to get something from you. When he gives us instruction, it's for you. And if we can start there, it becomes so much easier to go, well, of course, and enter into this literal, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not the guy that's, let's, let's just bank on a miracle, but I'm telling you, it's miraculous. What God will do in your world, if you honor God first, if you get out of debt or stay out of debt, start to fill the barrel and live and give in a life of overflow. Amen. Hey, listen, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. Father, as we come before you this morning and your word is giving us a path of life, I know we're all at different stages. We're all at different places. And, and I'm just praying that a sense of hope that life can be better, life can be greater, life can be more meaningful, life does not have to be that hard, will come for every person. God, the fact that you are for us, made that realization just light bulbs come on for every one of us. With, with your heads bowed, please, your eyes closed, just for a moment. Maybe you're here today, and you've actually just never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never just said, 
Lord, uh, I can't do this on my own. I don't want to do this on my own. I want to give my heart to you, my life to you. I'm asking you to get your act together. I'm asking you to surrender to the love of God. Maybe you've never done that before. I would love to pray with you. Let's start that journey. Maybe you're here today and there was a day that you could look back on and say, you know what? I used to actually be close to God, but I'm not today. I'm not where I want to be, not where I used to be, not where I know I could be or should be. Today would be a great day for you to come home to a God who loves you. Or maybe you just feel unsure yet still. Is my life really in the hands of God? And you would love to have that sense of confidence. I would love to pray with you. So nobody's looking around. Just a couple more minutes left. If you say, Pastor Kirk, would you, I, I want to surrender to Jesus, or I need to come back to him, or I just want to know for sure I'm right with God, would you pray with me? It may be more important than me praying with you is God seeing some kind of move from your heart. Would you just raise your hand right now and say, that's me. That's me. I want to surrender to Jesus. God bless you. I want to come back to Jesus. I, I, I want to be sure I'm right with Jesus. Is there anybody else that just says, yes, that's me. You're speaking to me. You're talking to me. That's what I need to do. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd like everybody in the room just to join me to pray. This is for everybody who lifted their hand, but can we just take a moment? Everybody say these words together. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned. I've messed up. But I come to the cross where you've paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start, a new beginning as I surrender to Jesus as my Lord. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, can we thank God for his great love? Amen.